0: Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Five Plain Questions, a podcast that proposes five questions to indigenous artists, creators, musicians, writers, movers and shakers, and culture bears. People in the community that are doing great things for their communities. I'm Joe Williams, your host for this conversation. I'm director of the Indigenous Art Programs at the Plains Art Museum. My goal is to showcase these amazing people in our Indigenous communities from around the region and country. I want to introduce you to Hunter Old Elk. Hunter Old Elk, a member of the Crow Nation and the Yakima Nation, is the assistant curator for the Plains Indian Museum at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West in Cody, Wyoming. Through curation, exhibition development, and teaching, she elevates Indigenous voices in museums and academia. A graduate student at John Hopkins University in Cultural Heritage Management, Old Elk holds a Bachelor of Arts in History from Mount St. Mary's University in Maryland let's jump into this conversation with Hunter Holdock. Hunter, thank you so much for joining us at Five Plain Questions. It's really good to have you here.
1: Thank you. I'm really blessed to be here and um, to be sharing the space with you.
0: Would you be able to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us about your background, your history, and where you're from?
1: Dishoda uh, Balaja basana Huk Balaja Um, Hello, my name is Woman in the Front. Um, that was the name that was given to me when I was one years old by my grandmother, Carlene Old Elk. Um, and uh, it means to, to take the lead or to be the one that stands in the front and takes the lead. Um, and my English name is Hunter Old Elk. Um, I, am, I grew up in uh, Gary Owen, Montana on the Crow Indian Reservation. Um, so my father is Crow and my mother is Yakima. And so i had a really interesting um and really impactful childhood um in the way that i shared a lot of space with my grandparents um you know i was in my uh, mid-20s um and still had all four of my grandparents at one point um my yakima grandparents and my crow grandparents and so um in crow they call that kanish babida, which means grandmother's grandchild um and so those kind of kids, uh, we were kind of rotten, like in the way that we spend all of our time with our grandparents, and we learn certain ways about the natural world. Um, and so my parents were always really open to um, anytime we wanted to spend time with our grandparents, we went and we stayed with them and took care of them and lived on the family ranch. Um, and I, in my, my current role is um, as the assistant curator of the Plains Indian Museum in Cody, Wyoming. Um, so I've been here since 2016 in different roles. I started as an intern, um, came back as a research assistant working on a catalog and a collection, was then hired as the uh, administrative assistant to the department and then now the assistant curator. Um, so I like to say that like I cut my teeth um, and then they all grew in here at Cody. <laughs> and it's been, it's been a really beautiful experience. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in history from Mount St. Mary's University in um, Emmitsburg, Maryland. And with that degree, uh, I kind of built a degree in the way that I was interested in Indigenous histories, but really wanting to look at the, um, uh, the, two, uh, the 1900s and beyond, but specifically around the role of women and women, um, Indigenous women and in activist movements, um, and understanding how, like, women, mothers, educators, school teachers... Um, are often the drivers of activist movements. And then once they get off the ground, then the community certainly steps in or or, um, leadership roles change, change by gender, change by um, uh, the different methodologies in which that they do that. So it was was really fascinating. It was really fascinating to grow up in southeastern Montana, um, go to school, for undergraduate in Maryland outside of DC. Um, But there was something about the mountains that I just couldn't explain. I I just wanted to to be home. And naturally um, I found my place in Cody, which is so close to where I grew up. Um, And right now I'm really fortunate to be able to be working on a master's in cultural heritage management um, through Johns Hopkins University. Um, so something about Maryland just keeps you know their academic program just keep bringing me back, um, and I'm doing that through um, a distance online pro- online program. Um, and fingers crossed should be done with the coursework in December, which is really exciting.
0: Oh, that's exciting! Uh, there's a there's definitely a light at the end of that tunnel for sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, it's um, anything with higher education. It's there's certainly a lot of support and challenges and then being challenged in different ways, which I'm really grateful for.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking about your your connection to home, but also in Maryland and your, your grandparents and those individuals who challenge you in higher education, can you talk about your influences? Uh, who influenced you uh, early on uh, when you were younger and currently today?
1: Yeah, so my greatest influence are... Um, You know, I'm the first to speak the accolades of my family and my grandparents. Um, So my great grandmother, her name was Evelyn Burdenground. She was one of, I believe, 21 children. Um, She she was the oldest, the oldest sibling. And when she was younger, um, she actually was educated at the Rapid City Industrial School. So she was, um, she went to Indian boarding school, but when she went um, as a young bride and married my great-grandfather, they had, um, they had quite a bit of kids. Um, I think there was 10 or 11 of them. And at one point uh, she got an award from the Hardin, Montana school district for having the most children um, to receive a high school degree. She got an award. And so education was something that was always really important to her. And then um, my two grandmas, um, my one grandma had a master's in clinical psychology. um, So she was actually the first to create the um, behavioral health at Crow Agency. This was my Yakima grandma, um, and so she was working for IHS, Indian Health Service, and was stationed at, in Crow Agency and opened the behavioral health. And then my paternal grandma, um, she was a VISTA worker in the 60s, and so a non-native woman was a VISTA worker in the 60s from Bamberg, South Carolina, uh, and she was stationed on the Crow Indian Reservation, and that's when she met my grandfather. And so she had a degree in economics and then from there, um, you know, a lot of their children received different um, education and opportunities. And so that was something that was always fostered from a really young age was to, you know, certainly go out, receive an education and um, come back and assist in the way that you know how or in the best way moving forward which was you know it, it was a lot of pressure but i'm really grateful for the way in which like my two grandmas like never never ever let up <laughs> and they still continue i mean like they that both of them are still alive um thankfully uh oh in their 80s um both of them are still alive these these old women and they they still have not let up and i think that is a huge foundation for why even though it took me 6 years post um uh undergraduate to get into a master's program they they reminded me weekly um and here we are now so I I have a lot of respect for the way in which I was raised with my elders um and in my community uh I've been able to spend some time with my Yakima relatives although I was um uh, raised on the Crow Indian Reservation and I have um a great aunt and a great uncle that are there too and um you know, they are foundational for um, my experience and, and the experiences of those people. And then and then um, also living in the Mountain West. And so working with museum collections, um, that, that certainly takes like a special kind of person. Um, museums can really be places of trauma um, for a lot of museums and academia can be a lot of places for trauma for Marginalized individuals are those that have been affected by colonialism um, for the many reasons that collections are in, our holdings are in museums. And so, like, naturally, I would spend so much time with my elders and um, it made a lot of sense to listen to oral histories. It made a lot of sense to me to understand the natural world the way that my grandparents or my parents were raised to do so and then being able to adapt that to the work that I'm doing now has been foundational. Um, So here at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West, uh, we have about 48,000 collections um, over five disciplines. We have a research library that has um, a thousand or um, a million works on paper, excuse me, and um, I believe just a little bit over a million um, non-circulating books. And so there's just a lot of content on the West that is in this area. But 10,000 of that um, belongs to the histories of Native peoples, Indigenous peoples, um, predominantly those that were on the plains, Um, tribes that were here prior to colonizations and tribes forcibly here because of colonization. Um, And so that is the range of about 130 different tribal nations um, from the Saskatchewan River down to the Rio Grande. That's how we define the Plains. And with history, you know, it's kind of a funny thing because in a Western idea, like um, we, we base the Gregorian calendar uh, off of the year that the Christian um, Jesus Christ passed away. But you get a people like the Blackfoot Nation Um, the Blackfoot Confederacy that has been in the Greater Yellowstone Ecosystem for 26,000 years. Like (laughs) that's 24,000 years before the Christians started to record their history. That's really interesting to me. Or you get something like the Shoshone Nation who has been in this area for uh, 12,000 years and then my people who came from the Great Lakes area and then have occupied these lands for 2,500 years. And so, like Western scholarship will say that's prehistory natives will just say that's our history. (laughs) And it's, and it's funny to like understand those different relations to the natural world, to time, to occupation, to, um, the foundation for our contemporary people. And, and I think that's a really beautiful, that that's really beautiful.
0: So can you talk about your career, uh, both in college and post-college?
1: Yes. Um, talking about my career. Uh, well, my career really started as like a snotty little res kid on the Crow Indian Reservation. Um, you know, I like to say I have a PhD in in being a little rotten res kid <laughs> and then have certainly supplemented that in like my education. But, you know, I, I talk a lot about just the foundation of being a little kid living out in the country and, living around our horses and on our family ranch and you know like going on these incredible odysseys as a child like walking around in the hills with sticks like having dogs following us um, watching as my family who all shared the same allotment um, live in the area and they're all artisans and so my foundational career really started with sitting down watching the way that my family created art. Um, you know, my my father is a really revered um, beadwork and uh, leather artist. His father was um, a bustle, traditional bustle maker, drum maker. Um, although my grandma is non-Crow, she was uh, given a lot of different rights and so she's a dressmaker. And so, you know, she's been asked to, to make different dresses and, and a beadwork artist. Um, and, you know, different, different family members have done different pieces of, you know, what we would consider material art. Um, my uncle is a phenomenal singer and has been called on for many years to come and participate both in social and ceremony. And so my career really started like watching and observing and learning what they were doing. Um... And then as I grew up and started to want to create my own art or wanted to learn more things, it was like I'd have this moment of panic where it was like, oh, my gosh, like, how do I do this? How do I get started? And, you know, my, my grandmas, they're tough. And they would say, you remember, just just sit back and think about it. And like every single time it wasn't I I could ask questions, but it was like, you remember, you know how to do this. And I did. And I eventually figured it out, which is really cool. And so um. I also like to bead and I'm working on a dress right now as well. And so with my academics, it's certainly put me in a place of privilege um, in the way that I can engage with museum collections and have a firsthand account of working with these these beautiful pieces of of living history um, and living in, in the the life and the breath of the what we would consider objects, but they are just, you know, elements of, of important tribal histories. And then using those opportunities as a catalyst to share them with many different communities, um, you know, having tribal communities come in, like sharing collections on social media, like um, engaging in discussions on design and, and, Uh, beadwork and the ways in which that make different tribal communities like who they are and in what way Um, you know something i think i've been challenged with is trying to break that stereotype that there is just one native american culture rather than there's several native american cultures right like just one letter one plural represents the the breadth of the many indigenous nations that are here in north america and so um, having an education that supplements that. But, you know, I continue to learn every single day. Like my favorite groups to work with when I'm working with different communities is children, if you can believe it, um, because they they see the world in such a pure way. You know, they, they even have just like a different physical um physical view when you when you're in galleries or in collections um they they haven't learned color theory and they haven't learned you know a lot of these very technical concepts that we learn in academia or learn from workshops and they just they see the world the way I think it's meant to be seen and I've learned like more sitting with children like rolling around on the floor telling stories than I ever have like in um, an academic hall, in a lecture hall, like reading from scholarship and books. And so I'm really fortunate to have like an army of nieces and nephews. (laughs) There's so many of them. Um, And yeah, like, you know, taking on that role of being um, an auntie is like one of the coolest things I think I've ever been able to do. Um, And then certainly like being called on later on to be like a clan aunt because we have a really vibrant clan system at Crow Agency. Um, And so, you know, long story short, I think my life um, experiences have really been the foundational of my education, but it really started from being a rotten rest kid, running around, having these odysseys with my stick.
0: That brings me back to uh, my own youth. You know, I I grew up out in the country, same thing, you know, run off into the woods, you know, find a stick that was uh, going to be with you on that journey, and you know, I remember, and I never thought anything about it, but I mean, there were old teepee rings back there, you know, it was where I lived was an old winter camp, and you, you would see these these old walking paths, and you'd find scrapers in the ravine and these tools around, and as a as a little kid, you just took it for granted, you know, that it was you know the, our relatives um, that. Had left uh, these items behind, not dropping them and walking away, but leaving them for the next winter. You know, yeah. and I just now, as adult, decades removed, I'm just um, so appreciative of having those experiences and knowing that those things are still there, still waiting.
1: You know? And so that's really similar to where you know we're so fortunate to have the same allotment that um, was gifted to my grandpa, even though he's passed, he's been passed for a few years now, but I recall like one of these stories. um, So we have a Sundance that we, we were fortunate to put on for a lot of years and our Sundance ground is still on the property. And we had some visitors come in and mind you, like Joe, I was probably, I was probably like seven or six at this point. And went down and we had these visitors and they were camping and we were all getting prepared for um, the Sundance, but we hadn't put the lodge up yet. And, you know, I was very precocious, you know, six year old and these visitors were like, oh, we'd really like to like walk up and go see. And so I said, "Okay, yeah, I'll take you. And so we walked down to the Sundance ground and I'm like, all right, guys, like like you can't say anything. You have to be super quiet and super respectful. And, And they're like, oh okay and and you know like i don't know what i was thinking when i'm six years old but i have this like big odyssey in my head and so we walk up to the Sundance ground and i'm like all right like you guys have to be really respectful you can't say anything like like don't make any sudden moves and i like recall now almost in my 30s and i'm like what was i thinking like why was i telling these visitors these non-native like visitors that they couldn't talk at the Sundance ground (laughs) but it's like it's really funny in my head and we have these like really hilarious stories of just us like being out in the country like (laughs) there was one year um, we one of our visitors had left a golf cart and us kids would pile all into this golf cart and they finally had to take the keys on it because we took it down into the creek and then couldn't get it back up so they they connected it to a wench got it back up from the creek Um, and so our bright idea was okay they took the key we're gonna break a scissor and we're going to put the the one end of the scissor into the ignition and by god it started. We ruined the whole golf cart but we had such a blast. That is awesome. And there was like there was like six of us like and we all were stair steps. I think the oldest of us was maybe like 12. The youngest of us was like 5 and we just like like again we would have these odysseys and it was just the funniest thing. So, and yeah, that there's just these beautiful experiences that we had and to now like be, you know, in a place where all of us kids, like all my cousins and my brothers and sisters um, all have kids now. And to like sit from the porch and like watch what the kids are doing now, I think is like such a cool experience. Because mm. at one point I was like, where, where were the adults? And it was like, they knew what we were doing the entire time. It never <laughs> failed. <laughs> So, yeah, that was a huge foundation of of who I am and, you know, who I just strive to be and, and in what way I do it.
0: I think that's so relatable, relatable anyways, I think, because, uh, I mean, you have described my childhood as well. You know, yeah. I, I know in conversations with other people, um, it's it, it's the similar thread that we've all experienced. And it's, it, that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing.
1: It is, yeah. And just it's beautiful. And to be able like, you know, a lot of um stereotype is like, oh, living on the land, like out with nature, the nature versus culture. And it was like, no, actually like we we were out in the country like being kids and that's something that like I I think is so beautiful.
0: Hmm. So as one moves through the career, uh, opportunities present themselves in different ways. And I was wondering if you could talk about uh, about those opportunities.
1: Certainly. Um, so I think what's interesting about tribal communities is they understand permission in a very different way. Permission often relates to invitation. And so, you know, equality isn't always what it's intended to be. Like there's certain rights, R-I-T-E rights in tribal communities that are opportunities for certain people and that's okay, right? So like you have your ceremony people who like they have their ceremonies that are invitation only and they what their knowledge should be protected as much as the the opportunities that are social, like being able to travel to different communities for powwows or for hand game tournaments um, or for horse races. And so having those niche opportunities to be invited into ceremony from different nations has has been fundamental. Um, or it's even in like the intimate conversations of sitting down with elders and just listening, like taking away and, you know, taking away um, as much as I can from that information, from what, what they have been willing to give. And so finding that place and saying, like, you know, it's not my right to ask the things that I don't need to know. And that's that can be kind of difficult for some people, um, as opposed to like opportunities. There's been of course, professional opportunities. I've had um, fellowships that have focused on um, like arts administration. Like I'm a a West Staff um, leader of color fellow. So the Western States Arts Federation, and they focus on arts administrators. Um, And then including like different opportunities to travel to conferences. Um, Of course, like you and I reconnected at ATOM this year, and it was like, "Hey Joe, how you doing?" Um, but also having like uh, connections with different museum professionals, but different artists who bridge that gap between multiple museums. And so, like our mutual friend is Ashley Poirier, who is at the um, Red Cloud Museum, and I met her through my great friend Robert Martinez, who is oh. you know this incredible um, Arapaho and Chicano artist from the community I live here. Mm-hmm. And so, having those like those thoughtful connections and making time to sit down and have a meal, and to say like sometimes in a Western setting we we have these like thirty minute Zooms and we want to get as much done as possible and then it's like wait hold on like we didn't even stop and introduce ourselves to each other like that's not the way I I, w- I was taught to to connect with people. Mm-hmm. And so you have to like stop and sit back and you know I kind of laugh and thinking like you and I were meaning to record this earlier this week and it just happened to not work out that way. And it was like, that's okay. Like those things are supposed to happen when they happen. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: And as the same as like with different conversations or, or different movements, like I can, you know, think of um, repatriation through NAGPRA. Like sometimes those will sit open for five years or six years or, those conversations were started two decades ago, and then suddenly that holy bundle or that rattle or this bonnet says, it's time for me to go home. And then, and then we're suddenly in a repatriation six months later, and it's home, in its community. Hmm. And you're like, what just happened here? And so, you know, that was one of the most beautiful advice I ever received was like the objects know where they want to be, but they also know how to get home too. And they're just waiting to do that and that's really motivating we start to bog down in these ideas of like 160,000 ancestors still in collections you know like that is a, a small sliver of what 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 is holding on um and i think that's really beautiful
0: you know sp- speaking of, of Nagprob, my father um led the effort for my tribe back in 1991 when it first opened up um to bring back remains from DC. And I was 14 at the time and we took a pickup truck uh, from Sisseton to DC and brought those uh, remains back Uh, because at that time that was what was available, right? Um, But in the time since then, you know, you, you talk about timing when timing is right. Um, that was something he and the other elders had talked about that when something was meant to happen, that's when it would happen. And cause I think a lot of people want to rush and make things happen right now and they, for- they forget themselves. And it's, it's, it's part of one of the the issues I have with, um, having all these podcast episodes on, uh, on the online format where we talk screen to screen, um, you know, because how I was raised, too, you know, uh, you would go to people's homes, you would have coffee, you would talk, and eventually, if you get around to it, you'll talk about what, what needs to be talked about. Um, yeah, sorry, my mind's just sort of uh, going back home and thinking about uh, those things uh, through through your words.
1: Well, and I, I think you make an excellent point, um, you know, at the the start of the panorama, when we all decided that screens were gonna be the best form of communication um, for the circumstances. Of course, I understand why mm-hmm. it was like that. Oh yeah, I was sitting at my grandma's table and um, I started thinking, I was doing some social media for the museum and I started framing these social media posts for the museums from, from my college table. And it was like, what are the things that I, I'm feeling right now that I would wanna hear her say what is this comfort that i would want to hear her say and um you know it was things on wellness it was things on the care on the kinship and i started thinking about like you know screens are a great way and they're a great form of communication but that was really hard for our elders right like not understanding why people couldn't come to their homes or to come and sit in their noise and um That was, you know, I also kind of went to that same place. And so when I think of like having these online forums, I'm always the first to be like, hey, wait, let's stop. Let's introduce ourselves. Let's you know, I've even taught classes in these these um, I I talk like I'm really old. That's what College Bobby does do. They they talk like they're elders. And I'm like, you know, these kids and (laughs) and I was teaching a class to um, some college students and I got on. I was all prepared, ready to go. And there was 30 blank screens in front of me. And I just kind of like sunk in my chair. Mm. And then I was like, okay, guys, like, I, I don't know if you feel safe. I don't know if you're in like a good place right now. But like, if you are able, can you turn on your screen? I just need to see your face. And then suddenly, like, the topic I was teaching on was a hard topic. And so I needed, for one, I needed this like visual sort of You know relationship I needed them to see if they were understanding the content if I had taken this this content too far and then we ended up staying on 25 minutes longer than this class usually runs because they were just like so engaged and it was like so that connection piece is a huge component but you know we relate this back to NAGPRO and it's that connection piece too Um, the consultation is is key it's key to moving collections forward um to again, and I was thinking the same way, like sitting down, having a meal, like how many negotiations have been made over a pot of burning coffee? Like that's that's such a beautiful piece. And um, I remember that when I was little, like being at my college kitchen table, like listening to these old people talk and to drink coffee and to sit down and serve and um, to. And that, that's fundamental, I think. And so when those conversations or those things are meant to happen right there, they happen. And that's really motivating. And it's encouraging too.
0: What would you say to the 18 to 22 year old that's listening to this conversation?
1: Um, I would say set your phone down when you can and be in the present. Um, I've, you know, recently I'm 29 and really had my biggest heartbreak about three years ago when my grandpa passed. And that was one of the first times where, like, I've had death in my family. I've seen people people leave for whatever reason, get called home, you know, to Jake Boulia, to First Creator, to the other side camp. Um, and there's no amount of time that is ever going ever gonna to take those experiences back. And so when you're, like, in the presence of knowledge keepers, of elders, if you're in the presence of babies and children, be present. Right. Like set your phone down when you're in the presence of food and sit and have a relationship with your food and the people around you because you're never going to get that back. And so that's, you know, something that I would love to hear when I was 18 and 22 and, you know, still trying to figure out who I am. And like every day I try to figure out who I am. And, you know, 18 wasn't that long ago, but it's enough to know that, like, I want to set an intention to be present. And you learn so much more and you engage with so many more people and life is lived now. Social media is just a reflection of the then of that one moment. And so, you know, there's these beautiful components of, you know, who you are as humanity and and recognizing that like the world is chaotic, but it's always been chaotic. And you have to take it in small bites and prioritize your mental health and prioritize, like, like you know, when we're talking about huge concepts like NAGPRA and returning human remains, if that person who is engaging with those conversations is not taking care of themselves, they're not taking care of those ancestors
0: mm-hmm.
1: or they're not taking care of those collections. Mm-hmm. And, again, it goes back to, like, this dichotomy of um, – of um time right tribal communities have lived time in in it's experiential in the fact that like in the crow community time is recorded by the event and who was involved not in a linear capacity like we see Hmm. and so um it may feel like it's it's a long time but it's not um And I think prioritizing that health component is, is key, Um, you know, and and I love seeing more and more youth engaging with, you know, their feelings and their thoughts and the wellness that is, is a huge part of that. Cause you know, might that be like not everybody's going to go into humanities work, but you will be working for yourself, for your communities, for your family. And we have to see, us take better care of ourselves and that's not just in a physical sense but you know in a kinship sense and in healing our 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 communities and our families Um, and holding ourselves accountable and holding other people accountable that's something that I've always talk about and I always 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 talk to my my students about is that you have to find mentors and a mentor can be someone who looks just like you it can be your same age. Heck, one of my mentors is my little sister Isabella, and there's a six year difference between us. And like, she will just tell me exactly how it is. And I give her permission to do that. Hmm. The same as like, I have mentors who are octogenarians in their 80s and 90s. And so finding people that are going to push you, are going to support you, are going to hold you accountable, like my grandmas who like, kept scooting me into these uncomfortable situations and um, are still doing it. I mean, like they're in their 80s and it's like, oh, shoot, like I'm getting scalded by my collar, but like I know why. (laughs) And that's beautiful. I mean, that's so beautiful when you think about it. Oh, so, yeah, to kind of break that down, be present, take care of your mental health and find people in relationships that hold you accountable and hold yourself accountable. So
0: That's great. Where can the listener find, um, find your work uh, to be able to connect with you?
1: Certainly. Um, so I work for the Plains Indian Museum. We're on social media. Um, we have Facebook and Instagram. So it's at Plains Indian Museum. Um, and so you can find our content. Uh, uh, we post, you know, historic photographs, um, objects in our collection, and then just connecting stories that we really like. Um, and then I'm on social media as well. Um, it seems to be the, the best way to communicate with people is to post something on Facebook and then, yeah, so people can find me on Facebook, but, um, I think I have a public Instagram. It's at Hunter Old Elk and you're welcome to reach out. Um, and then I can also be found on the center of the West website. Um, so feel free to email me as well.
0: I'll post, um, links to those public sites, um, uh, in the show notes. So what do you have coming up?
1: Absolutely. Um. So I'm going to applaud myself. Uh, I will be done with my master's in August. Um, so I just went five semesters straight, which, you know, it took me five years to decide what I wanted to do. Again, like right place, right time. Um, also kind of being scared a little bit. I didn't want to fail and I didn't want to go into a program that wasn't right for me. Um, so I should be done with my master's in August. And that's kind of been my, my biggest focus. Um. And then, professionally, we're working on a few exhibitions here at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West. Um, So our colleagues are going to open up an exhibition on Alfred Jacob Miller. Um, He was a Western artist um, about the same time as Charlie Russell and Frederick Remington. Um, And then after that, the Plains Indian Museum is hopefully going to be working on an exhibition with the Crystal Bridges Museum um, in Arkansas. And so I will keep you updated as that progressive progresses. And then for the, uh, I'm probably going to botch this, the Cisquintennial, it's the 250th anniversary of the um, United States becoming a sovereign nation. Um, We're in the works for an exhibition that's going to, you know, look at um, the 250th anniversary. And so we have, some things lined up um, and then, you know, in the immediate uh, just exhibition updates, we have, you know, like different wear and tear on the the building, different maintenance that we'll be doing there. And then um, in my personal work, I uh, work with quite a bit of different nonprofits, um, specifically relating to um, Indigenous literacy. And so I'm, I sit on a bridge uh, I sit on a a bridge foundation. It's Native American Jumpstart. And so we provide um, opportunities for college students or higher who are um, in internships. And so if they have specific needs, um, so that application should be opening up pretty soon. And we'll be doing more with that. So I'll keep you updated as that progresses, too.
0: Oh, I, I would like to share that. So if that's available, yeah. we'd put that out. There. And then
1: prioritizing myself as well. I mean, that's that's something I think we we all need to do is even if it's just a day to just sit and like be like, you know, I think I'm going to just sit on my couch today or I think I'm going to pull out my beads or I think I'm going to go throw my ball five dozen times for my dog. Like that is something to look forward to, too.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for, for joining me and being a part of this conversation. This was really wonderful.
1: Thank you, Joe. It's been such an opportunity to work with five point questions. Um I was just absolutely in awe when you first asked me because there's many of my native idols that have been featured on the podcast and I was like, Are you sure? Me? Like this little crow girl who lives in Wyoming? And you're like, Yeah, definitely. So that was that was really motivating and encouraging. So thank you.
0: They're in good company, so Absolutely. And that does it for this episode of Five Plain Questions. I want to thank Hunter, again, for her time and sharing her story with us. It's great listening to stories of, of Hunter and so many of our guests who have experienced sort of the same thing or same versions of my experiences growing up, and I'm sure probably yourself as well, um, being connected to family members, being connected to the land that we come from, and this this yearning to be respectful. People and places that we're from—that's held high in the value that we hold—and being able to connect with someone that holds the same values feels really good. And so, while we are states away from each other, uh, I think we are sort of of the same mindset, and it just feels good knowing that there are so many of us out there doing the work to to honor and preserve our culture and the arts as best to our abilities, and. The work and the care that Hunter takes into the, the career that she has definitely comes through uh, in her programming and just the way she presents herself. So, Hunter, thank you for your time, and I really appreciated uh, you being with us this, this week. I also want to thank you for joining us and spending your time listening to what I feel is a very important story and perspective from our community. So, please join us next week as we speak with another incredible person i'm joe williams you can find me on our facebook page and our instagram page at five plane questions podcast or at the planes website there you can see our programming our past videos and these podcasts and if you have a suggestion for someone for me to interview please look me up on facebook or on instagram and message me i'd really like to hear from you okay that does it you take care has been, you know.